The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Commercial Range, Pajero Executive, Pajero Commercial, Outlander Business and new L200. All with a leading five-year commercial warranty. MitsubishiMotors.ie It's Thursday and this is George Hook with The Right Hook on News Talk. Here's a digest of some of the items we had on the programme today. Well, I'm joined now by John Simpson, the World Affairs Editor at the BBC, because, of course, the reaction to Chilcot continues uh, to mount almost uniformly positive. John, um, two previous uh, inquiries were described as whitewashes. Chilcot, on the other hand, I haven't heard any negative reaction. Is that true? Yeah, I think it's a bit unfair to say the uh, the other two were were described as whitewashes. Um, Lord Butler did a um, uh, an investigation into the intelligence um, uh, which led up to the invasion of Iraq, and that was um, that was pretty hard hitting. Uh, but yes, you're right. I mean, there's a kind of there's a sort of general cynicism here, as there is in Ireland, about a lot of these kind of official reports. And I think a lot of people were expecting uh, that it, uh, the Chilcot report would just kind of, um, you know, sort of dust over the whole thing and uh, perhaps point the odd finger, but um, that, that Tony Blair would, uh, would come out of it quite easily. Well, he certainly, certainly hasn't. Um, the the strange thing is that uh, I mean he knows how to play these things very uh, cleverly and he just says um, you know he he thought he was right at the time essentially and it seemed to be right and the world would be a worse place if he hadn't done what he did so we're not left we're not any further forward um, we're just left where we. Yeah, but sorry, John, just on that thing, I mean, I, I heard Blair say that too, the world would be a worse place. But in fact, as, as Chilcot does point out, as a result of this adventure by Blair and Bush, the world is a worse place. Well, I mean, I think, I personally think it is, yes. Um, but I one thing, George, I think if we're going to be honest about this, um is that we've got to we've got to accept that anything that happened to Saddam anything that Saddam did uh was going to be trouble for 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 the rest of the world it wasn't a question of uh the americans with british help going into a <clears throat> peaceful quiet country and smashing it up and ruining it um, Iraq under Saddam was a kind of time bomb. Uh, he'd already uh, attacked two of his neighbors over the years, and uh, he would certainly have done something else. I think a huge, huge mistake, the hubris, all the rest of it, was in uh, the um, Bush administration's decision to attack Saddam rather than do what Bush's father did, which was to allow Saddam to, to make his own mistakes and then step in with international support to do something about it. But the idea that somehow or another Iraq would always would have been a peaceful, gentle, quiet little place, 
I'm afraid, absolute nonsense. All right, but uh, there are two things, though. First of all, if we talk about Blair, um, when American politicians get their hands in the cookie, got caught in the cookie jar, they invariably uh, get teary-eyed and find Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Blair didn't find Jesus, but he certainly got very teary-eyed and his voice was breaking. Um, I, I, do we, is that real or not? It, it, I, I'd be very cynical about it myself. Well, I mean, a lot of the people that I've spoken to about it uh, are pretty cynical. Um, I don't know. There was an absolutely savage cartoon in in one of the the British papers today, where uh, he's um, you know it goes from from frame to frame of him making his speech, saying he was justified, then breaking down in tears, and at the end he says um, something along the lines of, "Okay, that'll be two million quid, boys," <laughs> and with a smile on his face. You know, the the I mean, I'm afraid um, that's how we've come to see Tony Blair. It's hard, really, for for any of us, I think, to remember what a breath of fresh air he once was, how how people uh, really liked him at one stage. And I think that's part of the reason that he's so disliked now, because I think a lot of a lot of people have felt that they, they were taken in by him. Well, in that regard, um, the one thing that really surprised me about Chilcot Report, in the sense of an omission, was the role played by Alistair Campbell. I saw Alistair Campbell play a role for, unbelievably, the British and Ireland Lions rugby team in New Zealand. And I saw there, with absolutely firsthand, how he attempted to manipulate the media for for his boss Clive Woodward. Um, he he surely was had to be deeply involved in in certainly the public relations of the war, if not actually the propagation of the war. Well, I I personally think that he was he was uh, involved in the propagation of the war too. I mean, his advice was something that that. Uh, Blair clearly relied on very, very heavily, and I think it is difficult to believe that that uh, a man as closely involved as Alistair Campbell um, it just kind of walks away from it. I think really the thing was that um, uh, the the Chilcot report was essentially an exercise in political power, and what they what Chilcott and his and his fellow assessors wanted to do was to say where the blame lay, and they said clearly enough that it lay with, okay. with Blair, not rather than you know rather than the 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 monkey on the organ grinder's back. Yeah, but if you look at other sort of political things, I mean, after Gallipoli, Churchill paid the price uh, as as uh, at the Admiralty. Then when um, uh, Chamberlain made a mess of Poland and Czechoslovakia, he paid the price and so on. And and usually the politician pay very often pays a price for his failings. Um, Blair has been out of office um, and and is a much sought-after-after-dinner speaker. Does he pay any price for this? I noticed a number of people asking him at, at his press conference about punishment and so on. Is he going to pay any price uh, other than reputational? No. 
Uh, I don't think he is. But to be honest, um, I think the rep, the price he's paid for his reputation is such a ferocious one that that's, uh, you know, it'd be, it's, it's in, I think many of us would prefer to take some kind of official rap rather than that, that absolute contempt uh, that, that many people uh, in Britain um, hold, hold Blair in now. And, you know, I mean, I think the thing is that what happened in Iraq was so long drawn out that Blair had left office, um, you know, while it was still carrying on. Actually, I mean, to, I think basically we we in Britain, at any rate, have, have seized on, on, on Blair because we can't get at the Americans. I mean... I think really what what happened was that Blair just kind of followed along too. Well, everybody knows that um, the the real villains, and I think it is uh, having spent so much time in Iraq and seen what destruction has been wrought there. The real villains were were the people around George W. Bush. Sure, Blair was wrong uh, as 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 Chilcot now makes it clear to have gone along with that. But it, he was he was just a bag carrier, essentially. The real, real failings, the real uh, crimes were committed by the people that pushed for that invasion to happen. Yeah, now, you know, as you said, you spent a lot of time there. You wrote a, a book, The Wars Against Saddam, Taking the Hard Road to, uh, to Baghdad. So your knowledge on this is pretty encyclopedic. But what about the suggestion that... This great surge then, where they threw in extra troops and everything, they got, they got elections, they got all sorts of stuff. But Obama then, subsequently, when he came into office, he then pulled all the troops out and left behind uh, a broken country that was at, at um, the mercy of whoever wanted to take over. Is there any merit in that? Yeah, I mean, I think that is uh, that, that is effectively what happened. Um, you know, Obama doesn't blame, doesn't bear the, the the main blame, but he does bear a good deal of blame for saying that he was announcing to everybody that he was getting the troops out um, simply because it it made it clear. Uh, that there was uh, something worth fighting for on the on the the opposition side, the 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 resistance side, whatever you like to call them. They they it, it was all to play for. Once he had said, "Yeah, we're pulling out," it's just like we're pulling out of Vietnam. Um, you give a a huge boost to the other side. I think it was one of the less. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying it, but I, the real what I really want to say is it was a very foolish and disturbing thing for him to have done. And then, of course, it wasn't it wasn't tenable, and he had to put troops back into uh, Iraq, and they're there to this day, as indeed British troops are, and Australians and others. But there was another invasion, which you've got to be a certain age to remember, which coincided with the Melbourne Olympics, of all things, of 1956, when the British and the French invaded uh, Suez because they wanted to protect the canal. It was going to be nationalized by the Egyptians. I mean, is, is, is the decision... 
uh, to go to war in Iraq. Is that the worst thing the British have ever done in terms of like a foreign policy decision? Um, well, I think it, I, it ranks, I think those two rank together uh, as being two of perhaps the two worst foreign policy decisions, certainly of my of my lifetime, the, the post-Second World War era, um, I can't think of anything that, that remotely uh, matches that. Yeah, but John Simpson, the reason I asked you that is, I mean, Anthony Eden, who was the Prime Minister, he paid a price for the, the Suez debacle. It, it, other than reputation, Blair doesn't seem, Blair, and particularly Campbell, I mean, Campbell, you know, seems to have walked off into the sunset totally untouched by this. That's how it seems. I mean, they they don't they have, they're not manacled. They're not uh, peering out from behind bars. But um, both both of them have have paid a, a huge huge price. People don't really want to want to have much to do with with with, with Tony Blair and the, the money that he gets uh, for for speaking and for. Uh, you know, kind of um, uh, being involved in in foreign affairs in one way or another. That's all. That all comes from from uh, outside Britain. It comes a lot of it comes from America, where he's still, I think, regarded uh, with a, a certain amount of favour as 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 America's best friend. Um, as for as for Campbell, um, well, I mean. I, I got I got irritated today, and I I posted a, a a tweet which I think perhaps was a little intemperate. Um, I saw it, John. I saw it. <laughs> I just I, I mean it enraged me so much that he did such damage, and that really was Campbell. It wasn't Blair. Did so much damage to the BBC about that whole business of. Uh, Dr. Kelly and uh, the sexed-up dossier and all of that, and it was Alistair that 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 did it. And then today, you know, there he is blaming the BBC for it. Oh, the BBC shouldn't have done this. The BBC bears responsibility for Dr. Kelly's suicide. Well, I can't think of a nice word to use on on Irish radio uh, to describe what I think about that. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have been. You know, I mean, I'm I'm 71, George. I'm I'm. You seem a youngster compared with me. I ought to be able to control my irritation. No, no, John. No, no. <laughs> Stick with me. Keep the intemperate tweets coming. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you soon. The BBC World Affairs editor and and remains what a great uh, mind on issues, John Simpson. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie 250 people were killed in the suicide bombing in Baghdad over the weekend. Uh, that's the deadliest attack since the US-led invasion of 03. So, um, why is there not the same outpouring of emotion for Baghdadis as there was with the inhabitants in Brussels or Paris? Well, I'm joined by B.B. Baskin, broadcaster, and, of course, a long-time resident uh, also in India. B.B., welcome. 
welcome to the program. Thank you. I thought that kind of um, cross-section of your experience would tell us something. Why were we not, um, you know, as upset about Baghdad as we were about Paris? It's got to be more than just they're closer. Well, I think it's because fundamentally we're still very much an insular nation. The Celtic Tiger came and went and you would think that that might have brought in a bit more expansiveness. And fair enough, some Irish people did go and they bought up apartments in places they'd never been to, but primarily close to home, Poland, Bulgaria and so on. They didn't really venture that far away. And I think it's for that reason that we don't have any resonance with Iraq. I mean, personally, I don't know anybody who works in Iraq. I don't know any anybody who lives in it and I don't know anybody who holidays in it and I don't think it's a top holiday destination at the moment actually. Yeah, so therefore, uh, but but 250 people were killed and some of the stories of how they died, like people absolutely aflame, for instance. You know, some death is horrific. Um, But it it wasn't a big story. Still, 250 people in a bomb and when you think it's the biggest atrocity in Iraq in 13 years. Yes, it is. And I think about 185 injured. Yeah. And uh, 80 bodies were so charred that they could only be recognised by DNA. And the other thing to remember is that a lot of young people died, George. And the reason for that is is that it was drawing close to the end of the holy month of Ramadan. Now, that would be like our Lent before we, we, you know... So everybody's on the rant. Everybody's out. Out. Everybody's out. Absolutely. Right. When we were a secular society, Lent was more important, obviously. Yeah. You would remember that. You're old enough to remember that, George. I'm very you? good on Lent. <laughs> I still. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. anyway, there, in those days here, after Lent, we would have the wonderful Easter Sunday and the That's lovely, right. and we'd have new clothes and, and have a great uh, family food and all of that sort of thing. Well, it's the same during Ramadan and this was close to the end of it. And so all these young people were out in this shopping mall buying clothes after dusk because during Ramadan you're not allowed to go out between... Uh, daylight in the morning and, and dusk in the evening. So it was horrific for that reason too. But I I got uh, some abuse today on, on the old uh, text machine. You always about, get abuse. Yeah, but on the issue of, of Muslims, for instance, because I'm unhappy about uh, widespread immigration and so on. I know. But the the, the, the thing about these horrific attacks is the only, by and large, the only people who commit these kind of horrific attacks, because because the idea that if you blow yourself up, you're going to go to heaven and you're going to be with seven virgins or something. That aspect of the faith is the only faith I know that actually says to its adherents, look, if you kill yourself, you go to heaven. Everybody else sort of says, if you kill yourself, you won't go to heaven. Ah, yes, but as I always say, the world is a big place and there's plenty of room in it for all our different beliefs. I think it's very important to be that tolerant. On that issue, though, this particular time, it was a lorry that was packed with explosives. But I know the, the point you're making. I think you have to understand that within the Muslim community worldwide, there are two separate groups and the ISIS, the crowd, they're Sunni Muslims. They're about 90% of Muslims worldwide. And they are very much anti-Shia. 
And they went after the Shia on this occasion. And if you think back in our own history, within our own lifetime, if you had a Muslim looking at Northern Ireland way back 30 or 40 years ago, that person could equally have said what you're saying. They're all Christian. Why is one side killing the other? You being Church of Ireland and all. Well, I'm not going to kill you. Don't worry, dear. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but the point you're making is we have done it. We have killed people because of their faith. Yes, and within the same faith, which I think was the point you were making earlier, yeah. why would they want to kill each other? Well, it's because there's that very divisive thing. The Sunnis believe that they're the traditional group. I'm speaking now. I'm no theologian, as you know. Yeah, no, I understand. But you. I'm speaking uh, maybe with a degree of simplicity. But they believe that their faith... Is is the traditional one, and the Shia, uh, yeah, Shia are more modern in a way that the Catholic Church in Ireland would consider itself to be more traditional and true. And then Martin Luther hopped up one day and oh. kind of spoiled it all. But um, that is fine. I, I get that. Mm. Okay, but nevertheless, like you're you're somebody who understands the media, radio and television, and you've written. Um, Clearly, there's a, there's an editor, or there's a mm. news editor, or there's a political editor, or a foreign editor, and he's sitting there, and all these stories are floating across his desk, and he doesn't think that 250 people charged to death, and another 80 to 100 injured, mm. doesn't merit a place on this paper. Because there were no Irish people involved. I mean, whenever And we're a, not interested therefore, are we not? I, I believe that's the case. For example, I mean, Iraq is, I don't know how many thousand miles away from us. Dubai is also probably, I guess, 3,000 anyway. But if something happened in Dubai, which means God between us and all harm, I think then the newspapers, the media here would... Because have a, there's so many Irish. So many Irish. There are a lot of Irish working in Dubai. A lot of Irish people go on holidays to Dubai. That would make the, the media, but not this. All we right. have no connection, All no right. resonance. And Paris and Brussels, there's tons of Irish people working, visiting, holidaying or whatever. That's right. Or That's working for the EU. All right, yeah. I get it. But there was a thing... Um, like, I think it was Chamberlain, you know. Uh, Chamberlain's point was, we're not going to go to war for a country a long way away that we really don't understand. Uh, there is that kind of sense that they're a long way away, so it doesn't really matter. That's mm. what it boils down mm. to. Well, you see, I think you could call that in psychological terms kinship. Yeah. You know, kinship is a very basic part of the family unit. For example, if I were lying in the gutter tomorrow, I'm sure my two sisters from Donegal would come down and rescue me if everybody else walked by. That's a, a very basic uh, notion of kinship. So we have no notion of kinship with Iraq. There's nobody there we know. Or even, in, uh, really, when you think about it, I, I hadn't thought about it this way. It's an interesting uh, thesis to propagate. Um, like, we haven't had a kinship with Iraq ever. I mean, there no. wasn't a period in or even in our dim and distant past. No, no. I mean, uh, like, if you think of, of of Africa, you think of so many parts of the mm -hmm. world where we had some kind of kinship. Like, every time I think of the Congo, yeah. I think of Roger Casement, mm -hmm. you know. So there is a kinship. There's nothing. Nothing at all there. And I think that 
really explains it. And on the day that you and I are talking, it also probably explained why 13 years ago mm. Britain went to war because they even they had no understanding of the actual country. Well, that's a whole other story, isn't it? And very much centred on the megalomania of Tony Blair. Right. So that's a whole You other and I might talk about that another day. Yeah. Um, so um, you're... But in, in when you were in India for 14 years to close, mm. the Hindus would have a totally different approach to their faith to that of Muslims, though. Because yes. India, the original India, the reason for the partition was the Muslims went north to Pakistan and the Hindus stayed in India. Wasn't that right? Well, you see... Hinduism is is a very very gentle religion, and of course India is predominantly and always was Hindu, uh, but India was colonized so often and attacked, colonized and say in the last century, uh, the one before the eighteen hundreds, and attacked over the centuries. But they don't really fight back. They're a gentle soul, and now in the modern world, that has been also my experience of them. Very gentle people. All right. Uh- Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, Bibi Baskin, our proud resident of Cork. We accept all kinds of people down there <laughs> in Cork these days. Bibi, thanks so much for joining me. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie as you will have heard, Mick Wallace's bill for the amendment of the Protection of Life Joint Pregnancy Act was defeated today by 95 votes to 45. Crucially, as we expected, the Independent Alliance Minister, Shane Ross, John Halligan, and Finian McGrath voted for the bill. I must say, in the recent weeks and months, I believe that the voice of the other side of the argument has been stilled by the cacophony of sound in favour and all the talk of conscience. Well, um, I'd like to welcome to the programme Cleaner Johnson. Cleaner, welcome to the programme. Cleaner, this is hard for me and for you, but we'll do our best. Um, you carried a child with a fatal, fetal abnormality to full term. Um, tell me why. Um, well, uh, our little boy, John Paul, uh, was diagnosed uh, at our 22-week scan as having anencephaly. Uh, and I, I guess, you know, like anybody finding themselves in that situation, it's a, it's a horrendous shock. You know, the first, your first reaction is, how can I make this go away? This is just awful. Um, but what we found was as, you know, a couple of days passed and the, and the news sort of sank in and the, the new reality of what was happening, that our child, the future that we had hoped for him, that, you know, which had sort of just dissipated, you know, in a, in a breath of wind. But this new reality was beginning to form and we, this, this is our child and we have him now. And I suppose one of the most comforting things to me at that time was waking up in the morning and feeling him kick and just his presence and the realization that he is present now, this child is, is here with us and making himself known. And so what we found was that began a whole new journey. And while you would imagine, you know, looking on from the outside, as I would have, that it's just a complete nightmare, what we found was that this journey was completely different to what we would have expected, full of kind of surprises and full of joys that you wouldn't normally have in a pregnancy because 
usually a pregnancy, you know, when my, my other pregnancies, you're sort of focused on the end, you know, the, at the end of the pregnancy when the child will be born. Whereas what we found was this, this did something to us and, and helped us to actually walk through a pregnancy and enjoy it moment by moment. Never have we had such an experience of appreciating a child in the womb and his life, you know, today than we did with that pregnancy. So, I mean, there's many things um, that happened. Okay, I'd, I'd like to go to those in a minute. Sorry for interrupting. My guest is no Cleon Johnson, um, who carried her child, although she knew that he had what is described in the bill, a fatal fetal abnormality. She decided to carry her child. Now, when you had that scan at 22 weeks, uh, Cleon, did you know it was a boy or a girl at that point, or was it simply a child? We wanted to find out. So they did tell us that morning, you know, they, they were very clear about that, which was very helpful to us because sure. we named him then immediately. And I would have to say from that moment on, the hospital staff, they called him by his name um, and they, you know, which just was hugely comforting to us as parents. Yes, you no. know, he, he was given the, the sort of the dignity and the respect that we wanted to, when you only have a short time to appreciate a person, somebody whom you love dearly, you want them to be given every possible, um, you know, love and care that, that, that yeah. you can. So, so you know, we, we did experience that kind of care okay. um, from all the hospitals. Now, there's an interesting point here, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you keep referring to the child, to the person. Um, are you offended in any way when people talk about a fetus as opposed to a child? Well, I suppose there is some language that we would find very difficult. Um, and, yeah, fatal fetal abnormality, it's, it's not actually a medical term. It's, it's used as an umbrella to describe um, certain uh, conditions which, which they know um, that, you know, are, are fatal. Um, but in actual fact, they're, they're not always 100% accurate. And, and we, um, you know, we're part of a support group called One Day More, and there are actually, you know, a, a few families in our support group um, who are part of the group who were given, you know, very, very, um, you know, tragic um, new and given no prognosis at all, you know, very, very poor, um, dark prognosis. And two of these children are, are living today, living healthy lives and, you know, attending school. Um, so, you know, to, to sort of use one umbrella term, fatal fetal abnormality, to describe a whole lot of things, you actually do not know. Okay. You can tell, okay, this child has this condition, but you cannot tell um, by looking at a scan or by looking at you know, the, the medical details who this child is going to be. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Only the parents and the family, and the mother in particular, can find that out through getting to know her child. Yeah. Now, there's an important point here, Cleanna. You're you're carrying this child. You know the prognosis is pretty poor. Let's so let's forget a moment there might be a mistake. Let's sure. assume that it's a certainty. Like and in our was, case, we knew uh, that yes, it was a certainty, yeah. right? Did you know that at at this point you're carrying this child, this child is kicking, um, this child is connected to you through mm-hmm. an umbilical cord in the womb? Mm-hmm. Um, now this child, did you know when you were carrying the child that it might be born alive or did you think, and I'm sorry for asking tough questions, or did you think the child was going to be dead on delivery? Well, they were very... You know, they gave us as much information as they could. And what they had said to us um, was, look, we hope 
that the baby will make it to full term and be born alive. But it really, from here on, the future is, is hazy. So he may um, pass away in the womb, or he may make it to uh, the birth and through the birth. And we, he, he may live for you know, any length of time after the birth. All of that is a question mark. What we do know is he has this condition and that he cannot survive for long outside the womb. Okay. Now, okay, um, John Paul's born. You go through all the pain uh, that a, a pregnant mother uh, has in the delivery room mm-hmm. and, and your child arrives and John Paul has 17 minutes to live. We know that now with hindsight. You didn't know that then. You knew it wasn't going to be very long. Mm-hmm. Now, where where does your husband, because you also mentioned you have other children, mm-hmm. where are your husband, I don't mean where are they physically, but sort of where are your husband and your children in this process from mm-hmm. the, the scan at 22 weeks to the arrival of this baby, John Paul, mm-hmm. who has 17 minutes to live? Well, all I can say is very much present, both physically and, you know, and uh, you know, in 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 heart and spirit. Um, so my husband was with me for the scan, um, and so we we took a while coming home just to go and have a coffee in a very quiet place, just to kind of process the news together, the shell shock, and that was where we named him, um, and we named him after my husband. And which so my husband stepped in immediately and went, "This is my son. You know, this is our son, and I would really like to give him my name if you're, you know, together." Um, he proposed this, and I, I loved it, the fact that he was it, just the strength, uh, you know, this, this is our child, we want to give him our identity. Um, so, and we told the children pretty immediately because they knew we were going uh, for a scan, they knew we were going to find out whether it was a girl or a boy. So, to be honest, we were able to, um, you know, have a few tears together, have hugs. They, were, they, were, they walked the road with us, they knew, but, but because we... They could see that we were, look, we're handling this together. We're here okay. for each other. There's um, a, they know, were able for it. All right. Now, my guest, remember, is Cleana Johnson, who on the day is talking to me, the day Mick Wallace's bill was defeated in the door uh, by 95 votes to 45. It's an attempt to amend uh, the, the act of the Protection of Life during pregnancy. Now, uh, as, I, as you will have been listening to her, Cleana carried her child to full term. Child lived for 17 minutes. Now, Cleana, where did religion um, play in this? I mean, was your decision to carry this child uh, affected or influenced by faith? Um, well, if you're asking, was it directly because, um, you know, my faith teaches something, then no. Um, but I do have faith. Um, I, I do believe in God, and I believe that he cares for us. And so, to an extent, that's very much part of who I am. So, of course, that influences how I live. Uh, and so, for me, the sense of this child is a gift to me. Um, and I alone can find out, uh, can unwrap that gift. Um, and also, I know, um, because of my faith, that if, if this child is given to me, then I am enough, uh, I, you know, I am what this child needs. 
And so it did give me that strength and courage to feel, okay. you know, uh, it is okay. This will be fine. We can do this together. All right. Um, now, one of the things, because obviously I've had three children uh, in six days, my eighth grandson's going to arrive uh, oh, with God's will. Yeah. So uh, I've kind of been through all this uh, a number of times. Now, the mother-to-be has what is uh, euphemistically called a bump, and then people are coming up and saying, great news, fantastic, is it a boy, is it a girl, when it's due, you know, all this kind of stuff's going on. That must have been very difficult for you, surely. Mixed um, mixed experiences. So yeah. what I found was, for the first couple of days, I wanted to just go away to a quiet place sure. and just come to terms with it ourselves. Um, but then, as we came to terms with the new reality, this is my child and he is here for now, then... To us, we want him to be as visible, you know, in our lives as possible. And so, the, you know, we have him for a short time. I suppose he became an extra special child to us. who We were in some ways, maybe this sounds very strange, but in some ways extra proud of that, that this, is a very, this is a very particular journey. The journey of parenthood sure. is an amazing journey of, you know, of just being there for a child for as, you know, and, and kind of nurturing them uh, for as long as you have them, but then also of letting them go. Um, in you know, bit by bit, you let them go as they grow to become who they're meant to be. And so okay. it was no different for us in this a situation. It just all happened in a, in a much shorter length of time oh, and in a much more intense way. We still wanted to be there for him and nurture him yep. and nourish him and love him for as long as we had him and walk as far as we could and then let him go. Okay, um, I got so, yeah. so because we had to come to terms with that ourselves, therefore, when people asked, it's not like they suddenly reminded us of something we weren't aware of. But finally, um, today, this bill was defeated, but almost certainly there will be a referendum, one suspects, on the Eighth uh, Amendment. Now, what the Eighth Amendment doesn't necessarily do, it doesn't mean that every child in the womb is going to be aborted because they have uh, an abnormality. It gives mothers that choice whether to abort or not. How do you react to that? Well, I suppose um, as a parent who's uh, experienced this um, very wide range of reactions to it, but um, to to answer your question directly, um, we sort of feel that actually, you know, to to remove the Eighth Amendment, like our Constitution is about protecting lives and enhancing the quality of life. Um, of, of, of individuals. And so to remove a protection of life, we would see as actually really nearly invalidating the lives of, of literally the most vulnerable of our society. It's to say that you, these ones who are, who are so vulnerable, um, who will die, you know, as a result of a serious illness, these ones don't, you know, don't deserve the, the protection um, that our constitution offers to yeah. you know, every other um, person. And, and so to us, we would feel very sad about that. Thank you so much for joining me, Cleana Johnson. And your thoughts, of course, as always, to 53106. Cleana, thank you so much. New Bounty is coconut. Moist, tender coconut, covered with a thick, smooth, chocolatey coating. New Bounty. 
moist, tender coconut gives you the taste of paradise. Oh, yummy! It's World Chocolate Day, and of course, my favourite bar, the Bounty Bar. Well, I'm joined now to talk about it on World Chocolate Day by Michelle O'Neill, who's Vice President uh, Corporate Affairs for Europe and Eurasia at Mars Chocolate. Michelle, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Well, now, I have to tell you, Michelle, that um, when I was doing the rugby and we'd have two games, so we are on the air for about six hours, uh, I used to do it, I used to survive on cups of tea and bounty bars. So it was about 10 bounty bars and 20 cups of tea got me through the rugby. So bounty is very close to my heart and my waistline. So how far back does bounty go? When did you bring it out? Yeah, so, so actually the bar itself goes back to 1951. Okay. So doing a little bit of research for today, I didn't find the inventor, given it went back so far, but actually the, the real inspiration goes back probably even further back than that, um, back to the mutiny on the bounty. Really? There, there was a film of the same name, a few of them. Yeah. Clark Gable and Brando, and uh, there is a connection with coconuts. Because he had stolen coconuts, apparently. Yeah. And and then there was going to be a mutiny, Fletcher Christian at a mutiny, because, of course, Captain Bly was supposedly a, a dreadful sadist and everything. But about the bounty bar as such, I mean, uh, chocolate bars have, have an interesting and checkered career, as I'm sure you know, because there's ones like Bounty or whatever that have gone on forever, and then there are bars who have a comparatively short shelf life, so per, you presumably you people in marketing are never really sure when you bring out a new bar whether it's going to be a success or failure. Yeah, well, you know, we, we do our research, and, and with Bounty, we've, we've done some interesting special editions over the years, Um and I, I think it's the kind of bar that um, I could tell by some of the responses to, to you on Twitter today. And from chatting with my own friends, Bounty's kind of a bar you absolutely love or you loathe. Yeah, it's and the coconut thing, you see. Exactly. You either like coconut or you don't. Yeah, we've had um, exotic ice cream with coconut and mango and pineapple flavoured Bounty. And I don't know if you've tasted the ice cream, but uh, I prefer that myself. Bounty ice cream? Yes, you can get it in Ireland. Sure? Very popular in during the hot summers. I'm a fierce. I have a fierce weakness for ice cream, so this could be a disastrous interview. <laughs> um, but, but but of course we've got red and blue bounties. Yes, I absolutely blue. I mean, without hesitation, I'm a blue bounty man. So you're a, you're a classic hardcore bounty man. So that's the original one from 1951, the oh. very first launch in Ireland. All right, okay. And in terms of markets, um, because, of course, Mars is an enormous company, um, mm-hmm. is Bounty good in Ireland or is it better somewhere else? Or, or yeah, whatever? it's, you know, I mean, the biggest brand we have in the world and in Ireland is M&M's. Um, so if you'd asked me to talk about M&M's, I could wax lyrical. Bounty, it's in the top 20 bars in Ireland, but it isn't, definitely isn't our leading brand in Ireland or anywhere else. We sell... Bounty, ironically, in probably not the, the hot climates of the world, given it's associated with paradise and sunshine. So um, Canada, Ireland, the UK. All so right. not, not in the countries that experience sunnier climes. So maybe that's got something to do with uh, why, why it is in the top 20 brands in, in, in Ireland. Yeah, my guess by the, the summer. 
Yeah, my guest is Michelle O'Neill, Vice President of Corporate Affairs at Mars Chocolate, because it's World Chocolate Day, and we're talking about my bar, um, which is Bounty. Um, the interesting thing about Bounty is, like, genuinely, when when we were doing the, the rugby and I'd have two games, so I'd be there from, you know, maybe one thirty to 7.30 in the studio, and I'd have 10 Bounties and countless cups of teas. The interesting thing is that if I had done it 10 bars of some products we cannot name, I wouldn't be able to do 10 bars. Why, I mean, why could I consume... Ten bounty bars, but I couldn't. Con- I wouldn't have been able to consume ten other kind of bars. I wonder why that is. Is that the coconut? Do you think, or what? I think it's probably the experience that you have when you indulge in this treat, and it maybe it reminds you of you know the tropical islands, the TV adverts, brings you to another place. So yeah. it's a bit of an indulgence. Maybe you don't get the same kind of psychological. Uh, yeah. Well, will I tell you? Will bar? I tell you what I think of when I chew a bounty bar? Will I? Yeah, I'm thinking it's the adverts. No. <laughs> Am I right? Did you ever see? Um, did you ever see James Bond? Did you? Yes. Well, yeah, the old yeah. doctor, no, right? And she come Ursula Andress comes out of the surf. There you right? go. Uh, uh, with a conch shell. Every time I eat a bounty bar, I think of Ursula Andress. But go. the ads were kind of like that. The ads were they kind were. of, you know, they, they you sort of imagine pina coladas by the beach or something with your chocolate. Absolutely, absolutely. A taste of paradise. Anyway, how does a girl from Cork finish up with, uh, as Vice President Corporate Affairs for Mars Chocolate and you in Brussels and all? Yeah, well, we have um, we have a big centre in Brussels for, for example, our global food business, Dolmio, and all those brands. And uh, yeah, I've been here for twenty years. So um, and and is there like a kind of a, a Cork people's organisation in Brussels where you meet all every now and again to keep your accent alive? There, there isn't. But um, I try to get back home, and hopefully, if Aer Lingus reinstates the direct Brussels Cork route, I'll be back even more often, brushing up on my Cork accent. <laughs> Good on you, Michelle. Now, Aer Lingus, of course, regular listeners to the programme here, uh, and they're George Hook the third and George Hook the fourth are down in Cork. We will get on to the to uh, Dublin Airport immediately and tell Aer Lingus to re to reinstate Brussels uh, Cork and put bounties on the beer menu that Claude uh, that Claude McKenna devised. How about that? Fantastic idea. If you ever need a job at Mars, come and come and uh, you can be our ambassador. <laughs> Michelle, happy World Chocolate Day. Thank you. You too. Enjoy enjoy the bounties.